Hi, my name is Elijah, and I am a prophet. Sorry for the pause. Most of the time when I introduce myself like that, the room responds in unison, Hi, Elijah. At least that's what they do at my PA meetings. Prophets Anonymous. That's right, it's a support group for us prophets in Israel. I've been attending these meetings for about a year now. And before that, you might not believe this, but I actually thought that I was the last prophet in all of Israel. But then one day, I met a man named Obadiah. And Obadiah was a devout follower of God, or Yahweh, as we like to call him. And Obadiah worked in King Ahab's palace. And he told me that he had actually taken 100 prophets who were still faithful to Yahweh and had hidden them in some caves to keep them safe from Queen Jezebel. When I heard this, I was ecstatic. I was so glad to hear that there were other people still faithful to Yahweh. It took me quite a while to actually track down this group of prophets because, well, they were running for their lives and they were pretty good at it. But eventually I found them. And now, for about six months, I've been attending these meetings. And they've been a real lifesaver for me. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, so let me back up. As I said before, I am a prophet. But I've told my story enough times to know that people don't really understand what I mean when I say that. In fact, if one more person asks me to guess how many fingers they have behind their back or tell them what the winning numbers in the lottery are going to be, I'm going to go crazy. You see, as a prophet, I'm primarily God's spokesperson to the nation of Israel, his mouthpiece to his people. He gives me a message, and I pass it on. Now, sometimes those, me- those messages contain something about the future, but I'm certainly no fortune teller. Oftentimes, when these messages do contain some information about the future, they're so cryptic that I'm not even sure I understand what they mean. But usually, when Yahweh gives me or another prophet a message, we know exactly what it means. Because usually, it's the same message over and over again. Repent. Repent. Turn back to Yahweh. Turn away from your idols. If you don't, God's judgment is coming, and it's coming soon. But if you do, God is gracious and merciful slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he will forgive you. I'm not sure exactly how that message hits you, but it really resonates with me because I've experienced the love and the grace of Yahweh in my life over and over again. But I've been a prophet long enough to know that one thing that people do not like is to be told that they're wrong. Specifically, when you tell them that there's actually consequences for their actions. So as a result, I'm not a very popular person in the nation of Israel right now. Hence the support group. But it hasn't always been so bad for prophets. In fact, when King David was in power, prophets were actually held in high esteem. People looked up to them because they wanted to hear from the Lord. And, and David would actually regularly consult with prophets to see what it is that he should do. This is why the prophet Nathan had an ear in the king's court to be able to speak that hard truth into his life after that incident with Bathsheba. But since then, things have just gone downhill. 
When his son Solomon was ruling, it really wasn't that bad. But after Solomon, his son Rehoboam came to power and another man, Jeroboam, also wanted to be in power and they ended up splitting the kingdom in two. And both men were wicked, godless men. They had no interest in leading the nation in the way of Yahweh. And as a result, the people turned away from the Lord. And things for us prophets became very hard. When we would try to preach a message of repentance, we would get beaten up and chased out of town. Well, today, things are far worse in Israel than they ever were in the days of Jeroboam. King Ahab is now the king, sitting on the throne of Israel. And he has done more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of the kings of Israel before him. Not only did he consider it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, but he also married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, our heathen neighbors up to the north. Jezebel, oh, she must be the most wicked, godless person that you could ever imagine. She was vicious, she was mean, she was cruel. But the worst thing about her is that she influenced King Ahab to turn even farther from Yahweh and to seek after Baal. She was actually able to convince him to build a temple to Baal in Israel and to offer sacrifices to him on an altar. Can you imagine the king of Israel, the leader of God's chosen people, offering sacrifices to Baal? But this is what happened. Baal was supposed to be the highest god in all of the Canaanite religion. He was the storm god. I just, I just don't get it. It just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, as the storm god, Baal was supposed to be the one who could send the rain or to hold it back. He was the one who could call a storm or keep it away. And as you can imagine, in a country like this that's so dry and arid and in a society that depends on agriculture for our very existence, whichever god controls the rain is the highest god. But Baal doesn't control the rain. Yahweh controls the rain. He's the only one with the power to send the rains or to hold them back. Well, one day, Yahweh came to me with a message to pass on to King Ahab. And as soon as I, I heard this message, I got that, that sick to your stomach, lump in your throat kind of feeling because I knew that this was not going to be a popular message. But being a prophet often means speaking a message that's not very popular. So I went to King Ahab and I said, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. When I said this, I expected King Ahab to be furious. But instead he just stood there and he started to crack a smile. The smile turned into a slight chuckle and soon he was in a full-out belly laugh and he he looks at me and he says who are you Elijah prophet of Yahweh to come into my court and to tell me that it won't rain for the next few years until you say so do you not see this this temple that I have built for Baal the god of the storm do you not think I have earned his favor do you not think that he will send more than enough rain for us I'm not frightened by you, Elijah, prophet of Yahweh. 
But then a month passed without any rain. And another month, and another month, and another month. Soon Ahab wasn't laughing anymore. No matter how hard Ahab or Jezebel or any of the prophets of Baal would pray, the rain wouldn't come. I thought maybe that that this would help the people understand. I thought maybe they could learn that Yahweh was actually the true God of the storm and God of everything else. That they would realize that Baal was not the one in control. But they didn't. In fact, Jezebel became so furious that she started finding and killing all the prophets of Yahweh that she could find. And it was so bad that I actually thought that I was the only one left, the only prophet who was still trying to follow Yahweh. Why? Why, Yahweh? I cried out, why is this happening? Why are you letting your people turn to Baal? Why are you letting the prophets that serve you be killed by Jezebel? I didn't understand. I had so many questions. These were my friends that were being killed. These were men who were faithful to Yahweh. So many questions, but no answers. Then Yahweh spoke to me again. He came to me and he told me to go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. Now I want you to imagine what you would have done in that situation. On the one hand, this is good news that I was told to go deliver. But on the other hand, I was asked to march into the court of my enemy who had been trying to kill me. Well, if you knew Yahweh like I do, you would have gone. Because he's asked me to step into many scary, many frightening situations. And he's been with me through all of them. So I went to King Ahab. And as soon as he saw me, he said, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? And without missing a beat, I responded, I have not made trouble in Israel. You and your father's house have made trouble in Israel. You have abandoned Yahweh's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who sit at Jezebel's table. You see, I had a plan. I wanted to set up a contest a public demonstration for all the people to see. The contest would really be pretty simple. The prophets of Baal would come and they would build an altar to Baal. And I would build an altar to Yahweh. Stones on the bottom, wood on the top. Then the prophets of Baal would sacrifice a bull and set it on their altar. And I would do the same on the altar to Yahweh. But then instead of lighting the wood on fire to burn the sacrifice like we normally would, We would each pray to our respective gods. Whichever one answered by sending fire from heaven to burn the sacrifice would prove himself to be the true God. Well, there's a couple of reasons that I wanted to set up the contest just in this way. As I said earlier, Baal was supposed to be the god of the storm. And the god of the storm is not just the god who's able to send the rain or hold it back, but he's also the god who controls the lightning. And the Canaanites, when they would depict Baal in drawings or sculptures, would often depict him holding a lightning bolt. Because this was supposed to be his strength. So if there's any contest where Baal should have the advantage, it would be one where all he has to do is send down a bolt of lightning to light this altar on fire. 
But that's not the only reason that I wanted to set it up like this. You see, from the beginning of our nation's history, we have always believed in a God who could step down into real life and make things happen. One who could come to the aid of his people. And if we were ever convinced that our God was not able to actually step into reality, actually able to do things, then this would be a God who is not worth following. Yahweh has proved many times over that he is a God who is able to step into reality. There's so many stories I could tell, but one of the ones that I keep going back to is the Exodus. That time when we were slaves in Egypt and Yahweh brought us out by parting the Red Sea, allowing our people to walk through on dry land and then closing the waters in over the army, armies of the Egyptians as they pursued after us. There's so many more, so many more times where Yahweh has stepped in to our lives and delivered our people. And I wanted to set up this contest in a way to remind the people that Yahweh was a God who could step down and actually make a difference in our lives. Something that Baal could never hope to do. See, it seemed that the people had forgotten this about Yahweh. They had forgotten that he was this type of God who loved them so much to come down. I wanted to remind him of this. Well, as, uh, as I was about to set up this, this uh, contest, again, I called the people together because I wanted to make this a, a public demonstration. I wanted to make sure that all of the nation would come to see Yahweh prove himself to be a God who could step into reality, who could meet them where they were. And as I did, I got up in front of the people and I I shouted out to them this. I said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. You see, the people of Israel, they they were sitting on the fence. At times, they would still worship Yahweh and offer sacrifices to him. But then they would also worship Baal and offer sacrifices to him. If there was something they needed from Yahweh, they would turn and ask. But if there was something they thought Baal could provide, they would turn and ask him. They were trying to worship Yahweh and Baal. But things don't work like this with Yahweh. You cannot worship both Yahweh and Baal. You cannot worship both Yahweh and, and anything. Your job, your house, your family. This isn't the way it works with Yahweh. Now, I'm sure none of you have offered sacrifices to Baal before, but I'm sure that there are things in your lives at times that have taken the form of an idol, something that you have tried to worship alongside of Yahweh. Yahweh doesn't work that way. He requires our full devotion. But there I was, standing in front of this people who clearly did not understand this. They were sitting on the fence between worshiping Yahweh and worshiping Baal. And I wanted them to see that there was only one true God and he is the one that they should worship. So like a, like a good gentleman, I allowed the prophets of Baal to begin first in this competition. So they stepped up and they sacrificed their bull and set him on the altar. And then they started crying out to Baal, answer us, Baal, answer us. Send down fire from heaven. Send down a bolt of lightning to receive this offering. They started dancing around the altar, shouting out. 
but nothing happened. This went on and on and on. They started in the morning, and by noon, I, I had to say something. So, so I spoke up and said, keep shouting, shout louder. You know what? I bet he just can't hear you. Maybe Baal is sleeping. Maybe he's taking a mid-morning siesta. Or uh, perhaps he had to take a pit stop. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's on vacation. Shout louder. Dance harder. I'm sure that he will answer you eventually. Well, this got the prophets of Baal a little bit riled up. So they did shout louder and they did dance harder and they started cutting themselves with their swords and their spears. You see, they thought that if they could hurt themselves, maybe this would be something that would catch the attention of their God. Because Baal, while he may have been known for being a powerful God, was not known as being a particularly kind God. So they thought if they could lower themselves, if they could put themselves in pain, that maybe this would earn his favor. What a striking contrast with Yahweh. He would never require such things from his people. Now instead, he loves to show favor to his people because he loves us. Because he wants to see us prosper. He wants to see us do well. He doesn't require us to hurt ourselves to earn his affection. He just gives it to us freely. Well, the prophets of Baal had no success. So finally, as evening was drawing, I said, you know what? Why don't you take a little break? Why don't you sit down and give me a chance? So I wanted to make sure that everybody knew that there was no way that I was cheating, that maybe I was going to slip a match onto the altar to get it started. So I had everyone draw close so they could see what was happening. And then I had them take 12 jugs of water and dump it over the bull, over the altar. And I even dug trenches around the altar that would fill with water so that there was no way that I could have lit this on fire. Then I cautioned the people to back up just a little bit. And then I prayed a simple prayer. I prayed, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done these things at your command. Answer me, Yahweh, answer me, so that those, these people will know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back to you. No shouting, no dancing, no cutting. Just that simple prayer. When I finished my prayer, it was so quiet you could, you could hear a sharp twig drop. There was so much tension in the air that you could have cut it with a sharp rock. And then I looked up and I saw it. Small at first, but getting bigger and bigger and brighter and hotter. Fire from heaven came down and consumed the altar. Not just the bull and the wood, but the stones and the dirt and the water all around it. All of it was gone. Yahweh had showed up. Yahweh had answered my prayer. He had made himself known, not just to me, but to all the people who were watching. Now this is a dramatic instance of Yahweh showing up in power, but he's showed himself to me so many other times in less dramatic ways. And he will show himself to you too. If you ask, if you cry out to him, he will show up in your life. Maybe not in the way you imagined. Maybe he doesn't take 
the cancer away. Maybe he doesn't provide a job when you think you need it. But he will answer. He will show up. He always does. Well, after the altar was consumed, I looked around me and I saw the people all around prostrate on the ground. And they were crying out, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. All of the people worshiping Yahweh in front of me. Well, I knew that if the prophets of Baal were not handled, they would continue to deceive the people. So I had the people gather the prophets, bring them down off the mountain into the valley, and make sure that they would never deceive anyone again. But this whole contest had started because Yahweh asked me to come to Ahab and to tell him that the rains were going to come. So I went back to Ahab and reminded him, Yahweh is going to send the rain. Then after three and a half years of drought and famine, the rains came. Well, I was feeling pretty good about all this. Not only had Yahweh proved himself, not only were the people worshiping him now, but I myself had been vindicated. People understood now that I was a prophet of the one true God. And I thought, now they will respect me. Now they will listen to me. This was going to be a turning point, I thought. But the warm fuzzies that I was feeling didn't last long. You see, because while Ahab was at Mount Carmel, Jezebel was not. And Ahab went back to find Jezebel in the palace and told her what had happened. And when he told her everything that had taken place on that mountain, especially what we did with the prophets of Baal, she became furious. And she sent a messenger to me immediately. And this is what she said. She said, 24 hours from now, I will have your head. I was, I was shocked. This was supposed to be a turning point. This was supposed to be the time when the nation turned back to Israel. When Ahab and maybe even Jezebel would turn back to Yahweh and, and to worship him. This was supposed to be the time where I had to stop running, where I could get some, some peace and quiet, a little rest and relaxation. But instead, I found myself on the run again, and I ran out into the wilderness. I ran a day until I got to a tree that could provide some shade, and I collapsed underneath it. And I, I just I sat there so, so depressed. How, after Yahweh had showed up in such power on Mount Carmel, how is it that now I find myself on the run again? I said, Yahweh, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. My body is exhausted. My spirit is worn out. Yahweh, would, would you just take my life? Would you just end this now? I don't think I can go any farther. I wonder if any of you have got to that point before exhausted at the end of your rope, maybe even asking that Yahweh would take your life. I've been there. I've been there more than once. And what I found is that in that dark place, Yahweh is still there. He meets me there. And at this time, he sent an angel. And the angel brought some food and some water that nourished me and sustained me for the next 40 days. Well, I kept going farther and farther into the wilderness, in part because I wanted to get away from Jezebel, but in part because I knew that if I went far enough, I would eventually come to Mount Sinai, the mountain of the Lord, the place where God had met Moses, had given him the law. 
And I knew that I had to get there because if I could get there, I would be able to ask some questions. Some questions of Yahweh. And I had so many questions. Why? Why, Lord, if I have been faithful to you, why am I, once again, the last person in Israel still following you? Why am I having to run for my life? Well, as I got to the mountain, it was getting to be dark, so I found a cave and I spent the night there. In the morning when I woke up, I was eager to ask Yahweh these questions. But before I could speak, he spoke and he asked me a question. He said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Well, I said in an angry, upset, harsh voice, I said, I have been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to the death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me as well. I was so angry. Well, (laughs) Yahweh said to me, I want you to come out. I want you to come out from the cave and stand on the mountain because I'm about to pass by. A strange response, I thought. But nonetheless, I walked out of the cave onto the mountain. And as I did, the wind started to blow and it was howling so loud and so fast that rocks were actually just falling right off the mountain. I thought that I might be thrown from the hill. I thought, surely this must be Yahweh in the wind. But it wasn't. The wind subsided. But as it did, the ground around me began to shake and cracks began to open up. And I thought I might again be thrown from the mountain. Surely Yahweh is in the earthquake. But he wasn't. And the ground stilled. And I looked over and the whole side of the hill was on fire. After just coming from Mount Carmel and seeing God send fire, I thought, surely Yahweh is in the fire. But he wasn't in the fire. And the fire died down. And there was a gentle breeze. And in the breeze, I heard Yahweh speak again. He asked me the same question that he did before. Elijah, what are you doing here? And as I responded, I found myself using the same words that I had said before. But this time, instead of being angry, instead of being upset, I was just sad. I said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. Your prophets have been put to death with the sword. And now I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me also. I was so sad to think that my people, the people of Israel, were off worshiping Baal again. And that now they would not be able to experience the kind of love and joy and peace that I had found in Yahweh. And my heart grieved for these people. Why is it that I'm the only one left? But then Yahweh said something else to me. He said, Elijah, I have still reserved 7,000 people in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal. 7,000 people who are still faithful to me. And as he said that, I realized something else. I realized that I had begun to think that Yahweh's plan was about to fail. You see, Yahweh had made many promises to our people. But the most prominent was that 
he was going to raise up someone. He was going to send someone, the Messiah. This Messiah would be both a priest and a king. But this Messiah would not be a wicked king or a faithless priest like we're in Israel at the time. He would be a king who would rule in righteousness and who would judge with justice. He would be a prince of peace. He would be someone who would come to make all things right. He would be someone worth following. And I had begun to think that if I was the only one left in Israel still faithful to Yahweh, if I was killed, Yahweh's plan would fail. Who would there be left to bring the people back to the Lord? But I realized in that moment, as Yahweh told me that he had 7,000 left who had never bowed down to Baal, that Yahweh's plan would never fail, that he was a God who kept his promises. He kept them in the past, and he would keep them again in the future. That one day, he would send this Messiah, this promised one, who would come and bear the sins of our nation and of all people. And as I realized this, I was filled with hope. My sadness turned to joy as I thought about that day when the Messiah would come. So even though my situation is still bleak, and even though by and large our nation is not in a good place, I put my hope in the one who is to come. Let's pray. Yahweh, I thank you that you are the one true God. I thank you that you are a God who shows up when we need you. That you are the God who is all-powerful, creator of the universe, controller of the wind and the fire. And Lord, I thank you that you reach down into the world, that you are sending a Messiah who will bear our sins and make a way for us to have a perfect relationship with you. Amen.